Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Amen. Open your Bibles, would you, to Genesis chapter 1. And we'll also be in Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 1, Genesis chapter 2, in a Bible study that I've entitled Marriage Matters. That will be the pattern of our titles throughout the series. Marriage Matters. God's heart and desire for families is the target through this series of messages. What does God desire? What is his will for our lives? We put together a series we're calling Family Matters because God wants to deal with the matters pertaining to our homes so that we might be stronger and more available to the world around us, that we would live out as salt and light to those that God has allowed into our lives. And what a joy to know as we embark on this series that God is with us, that he's for us and not against us. He wants us to thrive and to grow in his grace together. He wants us to enjoy our marriages. He wants us to enjoy our kids. He wants us to enjoy our families, no matter what size, what what shape, and what form your family might be. And we were encouraged last time to choose God's way, because there are always choices before us. It's the wise decision to build your house on the rock, It's a wise decision to allow Jesus himself to build our lives on the foundation of his word. And today our topic is marriage matters. And it's such a huge topic, isn't it? We could easily do a series on marriage. We could easily fill books with teachings on marriage. But today I want to isolate a few truths that I believe the Holy Spirit has given to us. Prepping and preparing us. Now, marriage was invented by God. He created it, and therefore, he defines it, he gives direction for it, and he sustains every single marriage among us. God's perfect and only design and definition for marriage, that's our first question today, what is the definition, what is marriage? God's perfect and only design is this, one male, one female, one lifetime. And in our culture today, we have to add this. One biological male, one biological female for one lifetime. That's God's design. That's his definition. It is unchangeable. Marriage that is based upon the word of God, you know, if you think about it, it's really a culture within a culture, isn't it? Like you have the wave of cultures, kind of, kind of like the, the ocean waves, and there you are walking out against the current. And you're in a culture within a culture. You feel like you're an outsider in this world. You feel like an alien for holding fast to a biblical standard, for reading your Bible and letting it speak and inform and direct your lives. We're living in a time where marriage is devalued, where marriage is minimized and trivialized and belittled. There are attempts to redefine and replace and even repeal God's design for marriage. And it seems like most of the world is going along with the flow. It seems like most of the world is carried along with these misdefinitions which really come from a rejection of God. A rejection of God and his word. 
And it's good to be reminded today that as a church, as a follower of Christ, you can hold to the biblical standard of marriage, you can hold to the biblical standard of God's word, and still be very loving to those who disagree with you. That's essential. We're not simply to hold to a conviction and hold to God's word and then find ourselves in a place of condemning and judgmental attitudes to those who disagree. Because I would dare say there are many among us, many listening today, that were in a position of disagreeing with God before they got saved. That was certainly my position in life. Not only did I disagree with God, I wanted nothing to do with God. And so it's important that you hold these two things that are often in tension, but you hold them together. Yes, we believe in what the Bible teaches, unashamedly, without any apology, yes. However, the emphasis is not simply believing, but it's also in loving and serving a world that has rejected God. And if they don't turn the course of their life in repentance and humility, they'll spend eternity apart from God. They'll spend eternity in hell. And we don't want that. That's not our desire. But we do live in a time where everything's being changed and redefined. So I went to my trusty Google search and looked up a few definitions of marriage and what the popular. We start off with number one, the popular and well-known and trusted Wikipedia. Wikipedia defines marriage as this, and I quote, marriage also called matrimony or wedlock, is a culturally recognized union between people called spouses that establishes rights and obligations between them, as well as between them and their children and between them and their in-laws. It is considered a cultural universal, but the definition of marriage varies between cultures and religions. And over time, and I just stopped there, that's the first half of the first paragraph. Very ambiguous and changing, not quite sure what they're trying to say. Psychologytoday.com says this, and I quote, marriage is the process by which two people make their relationship public, official, and permanent. It is the joining of two people in a bond that putatively lasts until death, but in practice is often cut short by separation or divorce. Then not too many years ago, the Atlantic Monthly did a big article on marriage, and I'll quote from them, With the Oxford Dictionary changing its definition of marriage to now include the possibilities of same-sex marriage on occasion of the brand new gay marriage law in Britain, we decided to take a look at how how other somewhat official state dictionaries define that word. The first definition in the Oxford Dictionary is, and I subquote, the formal union of a man and a woman, end subquote, but it also now has subquote, in some jurisdictions, a union between partners of the same sex, end quote, tacked onto its listing. And the Oxford, the Oxford English Dictionary, in tiny letters below, the traditional condition of being a husband and wife definition, has the term, is now sometimes used to reference long-term relationships between partners of the same sex, and on and on and on. So many words, no definition. And it's just anything basically you want it to be. According to God, that's not possible. God has a specific definition for us that dates back to the beginning of known creation. Notice with me in Genesis chapter one, if you'll look with me in verse, let's pick up in verse 26. Genesis chapter one in verse 26. 
Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Notice verse 28. Then God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Here we have man and woman, the first man and first woman, and immediately after the Lord God created them, he blessed them and he spoke to them. As a matter of fact, this is the first command in all the Bible was given to a couple, to a unified couple. And how far we have drifted from God's original plan. Our generation, our culture, our society is undermined, rewritten, and basically replaced the biblical direction of family, marriage, and children. And so many people are paying the price. Whenever we choose to turn our back on God, we will pay the price. Now for sure, there's no one-size-fits-all family. There are many varied families among us today. There are marriages, there are singles, there are those that have been divorced, there are widows and widowers, there are different variations of the family unit. But there is a paradigm that God created that he intended not to be changed. Notice in chapter two now of Genesis, in verse 15. Genesis chapter two, verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day of you eat of it, you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field, every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. In verse 21, the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked, the man and his wife, and were not ashamed. Because some would ask, what do you mean one man, one woman, Ed? Well, here we have the only two people on the planet Earth a man and a woman being referred to as a husband and a wife. This is the definition that we get from the very beginning from the scriptures. And here we have the key principles. Here we have key principles that give marriage and family its strength. I'll give you four of them if you're taking notes. Number one, we see severance. Number one, we see severance. In marriage, a man and a woman must leave their father and mother. A new entity is created. And there is severance. Number two, 
In marriage, there is permanence. Permanence, you notice that. They are to be joined together. The husband, the man joined to his wife, the wife joined to her husband, permanence. Number one, severance. Number two, permanence. Number three, notice unity. Unity is to be in marriage. They will become what? One flesh, a new relationship, unity. And then finally, number four, you'll notice intimacy. Intimacy, marriage is to be the most intimate relationship you enjoy on the planet Earth. They were both naked and not ashamed. So from the earliest of time, God cared so much about the family that he provided the foundational guidelines that would make it solid and keep it strong. So there is hope for our families. There is hope today for your family. As hard as it might be, and as challenging as you might see, and the difficulties that are in your home right now, there is hope for every family listening to my voice today. Think about this for a second. Before God spoke about work, before God spoke about civil government, the church, schools, before he spoke about the law or race or even health, God spelled out the primary principles of the home because it was his top priority. And so a Christian marriage based upon the word of God is one that resists being swallowed up by the culture and the darkness that surrounds it. And this is an important principle to pick up, church, because the world is constantly telling you how to be married, how to live, how to be a wife, how to be a husband, how to be a parent, and the Bible teaches us the exact opposite. In Romans chapter 12, verse 2, we're told, don't be conformed to this world. Don't fall into the teachings of this world. It says not only that, he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. And I wonder how many problems exist in the marriages and families of our own church simply because you've chosen to abandon God's perfect will and adopt practices and teachings that you got in this world. You you read an article, you had a friend, you're watching one of the TLC or one of the channels and go, that's it, that's what I should do, that's who I should copy, when all the while the word of God is simple and straightforward for your home and mine, even if the application of God's word may not be so simple and straightforward. It might be very challenging, but we don't abandon God's word because things get hard. We press in to God's word when things get hard. We wanna be in a home that chooses to honor God in love and submission to him. So you have all these opinions, right? You, You pick them up along the way. Silly things, but nonetheless, people believe this stuff. You might be listening to me right now, you know, kind of tuning through on Christian radio. So you're listening to me right now. You go, well, you know, pastor, I understand what you say. I even understand what the Bible says, but I just don't agree with you. I don't agree with you. I think that I can marry my dog because I love my dog. And what's to tell me that I can't marry my dog? I love him. No, you can't marry. Let me just say definitively, you cannot marry your dog. That's not possible. And you go, well, I love my dog. I love my dog more than anything. Well, that that may be true, but if you think you can marry your dog, you know what? You love yourself more than anyone else because you've created something that's not possible. The Bible calls that an idol. You're redefining God in your own image. Or maybe this, you know what? I I think I can marry three wives. Three wives. I, I saw that show, Sister Wives, and I can be just like that guy. Well, first of all, Anyone that wants to marry three wives, let me just tell you, one is a handful. (laughs) 
<laughs> but that's not God's will for your life, married three wives. You don't love those women, you love yourself. That's a selfish thing to do. And, and they're caught up, maybe they're confused, maybe they're also selfish. You have motives other than pleasing God, if that's your viewpoint. It's real love, you say. You can't tell me who I can love. I believe men can marry men, and I believe women can marry women, and I believe in same sex. Like, no, that philosophy is an outgrowth of loving yourself. Loving yourself. Now, let me say this is a very prevalent thing in our culture today, and I understand that there is a true desire to care for one another, but it's not God's will for your life. He wants you to love and enjoy love, but he has given the parameters for that love. And it is possible for you to talk through your emotions and your thoughts so that you can take them and say, you know, God does love you. He wants you to enjoy life. He doesn't want, he doesn't want you confused and embarking on a journey that will truly, truly damage your soul. Because you know that's what sin does, right? Sin damages the soul, it always brings death. It doesn't matter what sin, the consequences may vary in severity, but sin always damages. And when you come to the Bible and say, I think this, when the Bible says this is the truth, you are simply declaring that you've chosen yourself and you've rejected God. He doesn't change with the culture or with your feelings. He doesn't shift and move around. The Bible says in Psalm 33 verse 11, the counsel of the Lord stands forever and the plan of his heart to all generations. So again, we can hold and, and cling to the biblical ideal and the truth of God's word, but church in the shifting culture around us, we need to learn how to apply it in love so we can speak to the situations and the feelings of other people. You will make no progress for the gospel if you sit in judgment and condemnation of those that are wrestling with sin. You'll make no progress. It's like you might find yourself, well, you know what, I have good answers and I can argue with them and I'll, I will argue them into the kingdom. You won't. You might win the argument, but you'll lose the soul. You gotta learn how to take those arguments and fashion and mold them behind love. Agape love always precedes any conversation, any opportunity. You want, people need to know how much you love them. They care more about how much you love them than about how much you know. That's, they care about you caring about them. And it opens a door for the gospel. You might be thinking today too that a real valid God-designed marriage is hard and it's difficult. You, you, you may look at it and go, man, that just seems impossible. It's true. Marriage is hard. It is hard work. Any successful marriage, you, know, you maybe have someone in your life, you go, I like that marriage. I'd like my marriage to be like that. And, and, and if you had the opportunity to talk to them, they would tell you it's hard work. It is challenging. You just don't come together and say, oh, you know, everything's great. No, the biggest issue in all of our lives is our selfishness, our selfishness. That is the root cause of marriage problems is our selfishness. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, good, finally Ed has spoken to my wife's selfishness. Yes, my husband, he's such a selfish man. 
While that might be true, that's the wrong conclusion. You're selfish, and so am I. Every problem in my marriage, Marie and I have been married 32 years now, ups and downs all throughout the way. I, we, just, we have a regular, normal marriage. Every issue in our marriage is rooted in our selfishness and our choosing self over each other, sometimes worse than others. It's work. You need to work at it. Abiding in Christ. We need to work hard because we tend, our tendency is to be selfish and self-centered. And the key to a successful life, marriage, and family is God's word. Remember Jesus, he said, if you want to follow me, you should go to church, take up your cross, and follow me. He says, you want to be my disciple, you should buy a Bible, take up your cross, and follow me. If you want to really be a follower of me, then you should learn some new language, take up your cross, and follow me. Is that what he said? No. He addressed the biggest issue in the room today. He said, you really want to follow me? Yes, Lord. You really want to give your life? Yes, Lord. You really want your sins forgiven? Yes, yes, yes. Then deny yourself. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> deny myself. That, that's where it starts. There's no other step until you learn to deny yourself. Until I learn to die to myself. Until I learn that God's way is best for me. And the key to that successful marriage is God's word. He's our counselor. He, he is our helper. He is our strength. And maybe today you're ready to throw in the towel. You already have divorce papers. You have that lawyer that somebody recommended, and you're already well on your way. And God has brought you today to listen to this, to hear. God can fix any marriage. God can fix any marriage. Let me make it a little more personal. God can fix your marriage. It is possible. God can fix any marriage if he has two willing hearts, willing to be honest, willing to repent, and willing to change. Listen, it's not a question of God's willingness. He is willing. That is not the issue today. That's not the issue before us. God is willing to do his work in your marriage. It's not a question of his willingness. It's a question of your willingness. Your willingness to say, I need to change. I want to change. I mean, do you really believe things are going to get better if you don't change? You don't change. Certainly, as we examine the life of our spouse, of course, we go, well, there's some changes that need to be there. But you have no control over those changes. You only have control over yours. And so without change, there's not going to be any progress. You're just going to perpetuate the same sin. And when you sin upon sin upon sin, your heart starts to grow cold. Your heart starts to grow hard. You got a hard heart. Your spouse has a hard heart. A hard heart plus a hard heart equals divorce almost all the time. Every single divorce has been the result of a hard heart, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19. So with that in mind, let's ask one more question before we leave. We've already defined marriage biblically. We've seen the significance of how selfishness can erode. We're also reminded of the power of God to rescue any marriage. I'm standing here before you. I'm just, you know, coming to God, I was such a mess. But I am married today by the grace of God. He saved my marriage, and we are still together. It's not because I talk Marie into not leaving every night. It's because of God. God has saved my marriage. God has worked on my marriage and it has taken a lot of effort and energy on our part to stay together, to grow in love,
to raise our children to face tragedy by the grace of God. He can do the work. He can turn things around. Listen, he can make a way where there is no way. I know you're examining everything. No way, no way, no way, Ed. Yes, there's a way with the Lord, his way. But even though he can rescue it, are you willing to surrender? You know, one of the responses from the earlier studies was a sister that was in a marriage in great physical abuse. And it's good to be reminded today that God does not obligate you to be in a marriage with physical abuse. Get out now to a place of safety and call the police. You are not obligated to be abused. That is not God's will for your life. It is a serious matter that the authority should be involved. If you were to call us and ask for help here, we would call the police to protect you and anyone else from an abuser, from a physical abuser. Colorado is a mandatory reporting state. However, if it wasn't a mandatory reporting state, God is a mandatory reporting God. He loves you and cares for you. He desires for you to be in a place of safety and security and care. So when you hear a Bible study like this and you look and start to examine how hard things have been, God is not instructing you to continue in a place where you're being beat up and hurt. Get to a place of safety. But for the most part, marriages don't get to that place. For the most part, marriages, we deal with the everyday things of life that get compounded with difficulties of hard-heartedness. And so we want to come back to a place where we realize the purpose of marriage. There's a lot of different ways we could define marriage, but let's use this one. An important purpose in marriage is companionship. Companionship. Your spouse is to be a companion to you, to help you in the weak areas of your life, one who knows you better than anyone else, someone who matches you in your needs in a very special and unique way. Your husband or wife is to be a person who can minister to and encourage you like no other person can because she or he knows you and is fully committed to you in love. God wants you to find a special, unique oneness together spiritually, emotionally, intellectually, and physically. Jesus put it this way in Matthew chapter 19, verse 4. Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. Jesus created marriage to bring about oneness between two people, not division or divorce. I mean, think about it this way. You've got selfish man, incredibly selfish man, marrying incredibly selfish woman. This is a great idea, isn't it? This is what God's idea. Take selfish man, selfish woman, put them in the same room together and lock the door. It's marriage. And together you start to learn because of love and care for one another how to die to your own selfishness and how to learn. Like for the, some of you, for the very first time, you didn't know how selfish you were until you got married. And somebody began to share that with you. And someone living with you going this, this, and this, and it's like, man, how you respond to that is so important. But then get this, selfish man, selfish woman, one in, one in the Lord and in marriage, you know what they decide? They've got a great idea. 
Let's create little selfish kids and let's mix them into. And so you got all this stuff going on in the home. And before you know it, you lose sight of what God really desired to begin with. And that's to enjoy one another, to be one with one another, to die to ourselves. Your spouse is that one that can speak into your life. I think of that with Marie. She is the best person to speak to me. You know, in all of my relationships, you know, it's, let's say in the church here, you know, there, there's this respect for the position of pastor and, oh, that's Pastor Ed and, oh, that's Pastor Ed. And perhaps that might hold you back from telling me the truth of something you see. Marie, she doesn't care about Pastor Ed. <laughs> She's going to tell me like it is straight up. And she's going to tell me like it is straight up in the moment. She's going to tell me like it is straight up in public. Why? Because she loves me. She sees something. She wants to speak to it. Do, do we do that with each other perfectly? Not, no. Do we do it maybe in the right tone of voice all the time? No. But think about in your life, who's going to tell you the truth about you but the person that loves you the most? That's what love does. Love tells the truth. We, we don't want to be surrounded with people that lie to us, do we? <laughs> when I was like, oh yeah, everything's fine, everything's fine, everything's fine. No, everything's not fine. And the greatest tool of discipleship for a married person, the greatest tool of discipleship for a married person is your spouse. It is the, the iron sharpening iron, or you could say the sandpaper upon sandpaper smoothing out those areas in your life and mine so that we might become better people in Christ, which is ultimately our goal. Oneness is the ultimate purpose for marriage, which is why division and divorce is so devastating and has such long-lasting consequences. I'm not going to do this, but if I would, I could ask a question surrounding divorce that would potentially have every single hand in this room raised and everyone online and everyone in their car will take their hand off the steering wheel and say, that's me. And I would ask the question this way. You don't need to respond, but I would ask it this way. How many among us have either been the product of a divorce or know someone who has? And I'm going to say most everyone. Some of you grew up in a home with divorced parents. Some of you had a divorce in your own life. Some of you have neighbors that were, so I was thinking myself, when we moved into our neighborhood many, many, many years ago, we all moved in together, you know, as they were building the houses in the community, and we knew our neighbors on both sides and across the street. And I remember our neighbors on this side, military family, a great family, and then all of a sudden, they disappeared. And they just, one day we were gone and they were gone. And we came home and we're like, I wonder what happened to them. We caught up with them because we knew them. And well, we know what happened. They got divorced, sold the house and left. It didn't work out. And see, it's families like that that need the influence of godly, loving, caring, biblical men and women that share a fence line or share a street to be there for them in their tough times and even after their tough times. Some of you are still living with the effects of the divorce that touched your life. You still have bad habits. You still have deep trauma and pain. Some of you have deep bitterness and unforgiveness, and it's affecting your life today, not just something that was done years ago. It's affecting you today. And the good news is, is that God wants to change the whole 
family tree that you're connected to with your life. He wants to change, he wants to change generational habits and directions in your, in your family and going up and down by what he wants to do in your marriage. Everything can change with your life. You can go down to your kids, up to your parents, sideways to your aunts and uncles by the life you live in the Lord. And as you choose in your own home, as you choose companionship over independence and selfishness, if you do that daily, you will strengthen the bonds of your marriage automatically. When you say no to your independence and that selfish streak, you will strengthen your marriage automatically. You know, in every marriage I get to officiate, this verse is inevitably used. So much so that they even illustrate it now with sand and with cords, with these special things. It's Ecclesiastes chapter four. I know you know it, but let me read it to you in verse 12. It says, though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Isn't that great? It's a beautiful picture of a marriage that is built upon the rock of Jesus. He is that third cord. He is the one. It doesn't say it won't be broken. It just says it won't be easily broken. You're going to make it through a lot of difficulties, a lot of trials when you cling to the Lord. Uh, if, if in the crisis marriages that I get to speak into, inevitably I will draw a picture for you. I will get a piece of paper and draw a picture of concentric circles because I want to remind you of God's will for your marriage. And in the smallest circle, right in the middle, the bullseye, there are going to be three names in there. Your name, your spouse's name, and Jesus. That is the foundation of every single relationship in your life. Every single relationship. Even if you're not married, it's just you and Jesus right now. That is the foundation of every single relationship. Everyone that loves you and cares for you, that circle has to stay intact. Then I draw another circle and put your kids. Then I draw another circle and put your grandkids or your in-laws. Then I draw another circle of your friends. Then I draw another circle of the people you work with, and you get the point. You have different levels of relationships with people in your life. So as you affect these folks, this is what happens. The enemy is always wanting to break those lines and cause division and destruction in your life. He's always wanting to, you, you think of it breaking lines, but you better be said, he wants to break all the relationships. He wants to separate you from people. He wants you fighting about things. He wants you separated and away from people that love you and people that you love because he knows the power of love. But really the lonely line he really wants broken is the little one. Because if he can break the little one, every other relationship is damaged. All the people that care about you, all the people that you care about will be affected by your marital decisions, including and up to divorce. However, they are also affected by your commitment to choose companionship over independence in a positive way. You become a beautiful picture and a beautiful strength to people in your life that can hold fast to the truths of God's word in your life. When you choose independence and selfishness though, you weaken the bond and grow automatically distant from each other. And think about it, when you do that every day, every day you get farther and farther and farther away from your spouse because you're just independent. Even if your spouse is going forward and you're choosing independence, you're still getting farther and farther away. You might have heard it said, maybe it's coming out of, come out of your lips before, you know what, I've just grown out of love with him. I don't love her anymore. Well, that may be your attempt to express a feeling that you have that 
your marriage isn't what you want it to be, and now you have this feeling that you don't love your spouse anymore. But while the feeling may have gone away in that moment, what you actually should say is this, and I quote, I've chosen to disobey God by selfishly living independent of my spouse that I simply don't want to live with them anymore. I love myself much more than I love them. That's really what's being said. We are so separate. I have chosen to live independent and I don't want to be with them anymore. And you go, wait a minute, wait a minute, you got it all wrong. It's not me doing that. It's them doing that. Okay, so for the spouse that has a difficult marriage on the other side, you, you cling to the Lord. A person that clings to the Lord doesn't say things. As a matter of fact, a person that is wandering away from the Lord, you tend to love more, not less. That self-sacrificial agape love. Hey, don't think I'm not, I'm glossing over marriages can be hard, marriages can be difficult. Don't, don't think that at all. I mean, you, you know, in our lives, Marie and I, there were at least, on at least two occasions that she wanted to divorce me. On one occasion, as a believer, after the loss of my son, after the death of my son, I really didn't think our marriage was going to make it. It was that bad. It was that challenging and that dark in our home as we were all grieving. It was scary. It was hard. I'm not glossing over the pain and hardship that might be in your family it might be in your marriage, for whatever reason it might be. I just know this. When I get my eyes and my life centered on the things of the Lord, he takes good care of me, and he helps me, and he delivers you. So, so you, you can't just sit around blaming your spouse all the time. That's how the world does things. Just blame their spouse, blame their spouse, and then that somehow, look, whatever has happened in your marriage does not, like, so my, my but you don't understand, Ed, my, and, and I'm not talking about the big things that we already talked about, like abuse, I'm just normal marriage stuff. You don't understand, it. he doesn't care, he's into this, she's over there, I don't care, she, like, you've you got all these reasons, and my question is always, but how is your walk with the Lord? I know there's a lot of things you don't control, but how is your walk with the Lord? Because it's two willing people that God can rescue a marriage, but even with one willing person, the work can begin. Just one willing person. Remember Jesus said the unbelieving in an, un- in an unequal marriage, that you find yourself in an unequal, that the believing wife sanctifies the home. Remember, God works through the believer. So someone's sin against you doesn't give you permission to sin. And so if it is tough, then the one that's listening, and a lot of times the one that's listening is the one that comes to me with the problem, and then I'm sharing with them, how's your walking? You go, no, no, Ed, no, it's not me, it's them. No, but you're the one talking to me. So I'm gonna say to you what the Lord has to say to you. And if you can by any way invite or challenge or bring your spouse in, I have the opportunity in some way to share with them the same exact thing so that God would rescue your marriage. In Philippians chapter two, as we close, this is a great verse for your marriage. Should be a banner over your marriage, mine as well. Philippians chapter two, verse three, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. And as you abide in Christ, drawing strength from him, some of you have already been given the answer to your marital issues right now. Abiding in Christ, drawing your strength and wisdom from him. The the issue at hand is not them, it's you. It's me. My selfishness destroys unity and harmony. 
self-sacrifice really is made up of, like we think it's self-sacrifice is not just one big decision, but rather self-sacrifice is really made up of a million small incremental choices that we do every day. That we can't even keep track of them anymore. We can't keep, can't keep like the love says in 1 Corinthians 13, we don't keep record of wrong, but we also don't need to keep record of right either. We just live in a self-sacrificial way. Little things, just little things. It's just the little things that matter. Little things like coming home from work instead of hanging out with your friends afterwards, going to the club or the bar or whatever you might be doing. Come home and be with your spouse. Little things like when the baby's crying, you get up to help. Little things like being completely honest with your spouse all the time. There is no biblical precedent to be dishonest with your spouse. I can't tell you how, more one, more, how many times on more than one occasion somebody has come up to me and said, such and such, there's this under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, such and such and this, this, and, I, and my question is, did you tell your, does your spouse know this? Well, it happened three years ago and last night somebody told us not to us. so no, they don't know. You need to tell her. Oh, no, Ed, you don't know. Way, I couldn't tell her. It'll destroy everything, everything. No, no. Do you really think living the lie that you're living right now is God's will for your marriage? Where your spouse can't trust you? Where you, they don't even know if you're telling the truth or they live in this false world that you're a truthful person when you are not? Like only honesty can be the glue of every marriage. And God will work out the details. You can't undo the past, but you can't hide it either. It's impossible. You know why? The Bible says this. You be very sure of this. Your sin will find you out. And God just says, be honest. You can, and and guys and gals, listen, you can be honest with your spouse without being a jerk. You can be kind. You can have a real relationship where you talk things through. It might get heated. It might be difficult, but that's a real relationship. It's give and take. It's true honesty. And when you're not honest, little by little, it's going to erode your intimacy. Little things like rearranging your schedule for someone else, surprising them, loving them, giving acts of kindness, cleaning the toilets, walking the dog. And by the way, I I would just like a dog to walk. I'd just like a dog to walk. But Marie and I aren't quite agreeing on that. (laughs) Love flows when we're not competing anymore. Love flows when we're completing. Does I get that? Not competing, but completing one another. Serving one another. Love flows when we're building each other up, when we're not thinking of ourselves, but we're thinking of each other. Listen, and this is, some of this is from Pastor Steve Carr. I so appreciate him. He says this, he says something like this, you know, rarely in marriage does a spouse ask you to donate to them your kidney. That's prove your love to me. I need a new kidney. Rarely does that happen. Similar to, you know, a lot of Christians say, oh, I'll, I'll die for Christ. I'll die for Christ. I'll die for Christ. You know, man, in our generation so far, most of us have never been in a position where our lives were in danger to die for Christ. The call should be for us, not I will die for Christ, but the real call in question is, will you live for Christ? Because you're already alive. So I'll live for Christ. I'll do whatever it takes. That's not so popular. And same in marriage. Well, you know, if my wife asked me for a kidney, you can have it. Okay, that's great. But more often than not, that's not what happens in marriage. Instead, there is this daily 
you know, what he says, a little pricking of the finger, a little pricking of the finger, a little pricking of the finger, where, you know, you prick your finger, those of you that have to check your numbers all the time, you know, you prick your finger so much, it just becomes calloused. You got to prick another finger and another, where you're just giving and giving, giving. Why? Because you want that number. And, and in marriage, that's, that's, that's what we're asked for every day. A little bit dying to yourself, a little bit dying to yourself, a little bit dying to yourself. Not a big one, although when the big one comes, being faithful in the little ones helps. But it's not the big one. It's the daily little things. A million of them. Love is self-sacrifice, living out the great commandment to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because ministry comes from the home, not just to the home. Remember what Paul told Timothy? He said, you're looking for a leader in the church, an elder? Make sure that man knows how to lead his house well. That's often been interpreted like, oh, he knows, all his kids are in order. And poor kids all throughout the ages, you know, they get treated like pastor kids and they have to be all perfect and everything has to be perfect. That's not what the Holy Spirit is saying at all. He's just saying this. If you don't know how as a man, as a leader to be, if you don't know how as a man to have a home that's seeking the Lord, what makes you think you're going to be a good church leader? That's all it really means. And if you can't, if your home isn't seeking the Lord together, you will be limited in what God entrusts you in his church. That's what he's saying. And I think we all in these last days want to be more equipped and more ready to serve. And so when you approach these things, we look at husbands and wives in future studies, and like God is not, he he knows we're not going to have the perfect home, but are you seeking the Lord? He knows we're not going to have the perfect home, but are you serving your wife and husband? He knows he's not going to have the perfect, but are you dying to yourself? Are you admitting that the big issue in your marriage is not merely them, it's me too, It's me too, and it's you too. However you got married, whether it was before in a courthouse or a big planned ceremony, you vowed before God and man, you made a promise and a covenant to your spouse. You might want to pull out the vows uh, that you shared. Maybe you didn't share vows. Email me, I'll send you the vows we use here, and you can use them. For better or worse, sickness or health, richer or poorer, until death do us part. That was the commitment that we made. Marie and I were married as unbelievers. We were married, like we entered into God's creative order of marriage, not even wanting anything to do with God. And you know what? We made the same covenant between God and man. The covenant we're still living out today. God expects us to keep our covenant because you made it before him. And the motivation, one final word, the motivation cannot be in marriage to please your spouse. Your motivation has to be to please the Lord because you know as well as I do, you can't always please your spouse. (laughs) And if that's your motivation, when it doesn't work the way you want it, then your heart gets hard and it's just, it's a mess when we don't put God first. That's it, it's just a mess when you don't put God first and you don't learn. And there's a lot of resources available to help you along the way. You go, I just don't know how. Well, there is a lot of help. When you surrender to Christ, when you choose to please him first, he enables you to work at your marriage with real steadfastness steadfastness and zeal. The covenant you've made before God, the covenant of companionship is the binding force in your heart that keeps you there long enough to see the changes you desire. Because sometimes people seek to please themselves so much they choose to just abandon their marriage. And God wants to help you work it out. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for this word. We know that you have help for us today. 
you have a word for us. Uh, and there's a lot of different stations in life that we can't address every single one of them. But we do ask for your help in our marriage. We ask for the help, maybe even to hold a biblical standard, but with love. Like, let us not become nasty just because we believe something in the Bible and someone else disagrees. Let us learn how to express ourselves where the person knows we're not trying to make a point. We're trying to share with them the life-giving word that you have shared with us. So forgive us and strengthen us as we head out today. Save our marriages, strengthen our marriages, prepare our marriages, help our marriages. Please, Lord. And we're not forgetting the widow or the widower. We're not forgetting the single. But today, the topic for those that are married, help us. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.